Physical death does not mean the end of our existence, but a transition from one dimension to another. That we might either exist in hell and Hades in the lake of fire forever and ever, or to be with God in the heavenlies. But it doesn't mean an end of our existence, but merely a transformation that'll take place. The Bible speaks of death in a threefold way. There is physical death, there is spiritual death, and there is an eternal death that takes place. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Today we're looking at in a moment and a twinkling of an eye, 1 Corinthians 15 verses 50 through 58. I broke it into three points. The mystery of the rapture, verses 50 through 53. Christ, our victory, verses 54 through 57. And while we wait, in verse 58. Christ, our victor, in verses 54 through 57. In verse 54, we find that death is swallowed up. So when this corruptible is put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality... Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Only those who have received Jesus Christ as their Savior will find this victory over death. It'll be at a time of the trumpet sound that the believers who are still living will put off their corruptible bodies, their body of corruption, in order to put on incorruption. They'll put off this mortal body that we might put on immortality. At this very moment, all death will be swallowed up in victory. And this is a truth concerning the swallowing up of death that's taught both in the New and the Old Testaments. In Isaiah 25, 8, Isaiah wrote, And he will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away every tear from the all faces. And the rebuke of his people He will take away from all the earth. And the Lord has spoken this. The Lord has spoken this. That we will be caught up. That we will be changed. That death will be swallowed up forever. This is not the opinion of man. This is what the Lord God himself has said. On that day, death will be swallowed up forever. Jesus will also wipe away those tears. 
He will take away the rebuke of his people. In that day, all sin that is brought upon mankind, upon creation, will be reversed during the millennial reign of Christ. It will kind of be for the Christian. It will kind of be for your you tracky fans. A beam me up Scotty moment. I'm not going to say it's going to be just like that. But without our knowing it, in a moment of the twinkling of the eye, we find today that the Lord will come for his church. Right now, the church is separated in many ways. We find that there are those of the church that have already uh, laid to their rest. They're already in heaven. They're already with Jesus. We also find the church today is meeting at various points throughout the world. But also, we find one day that Jesus Christ will catch up his church together with, to be with him in the air forever. And this is to be a great comfort for the Lord's church. Knowing that those who have died and that those who have remained, that we are not excluded from the plans that the Lord has for us. May it be that we will hear the voice of the Lord shouting with the voice of an archangel with the trump of God. Perhaps the Lord will come for his elect and we might hear the multitude of the voices of heaven singing along with him. Maybe the Lord will come with archangels like Michael or Gabriel shouting the trumpet of God, sending forth its trumpet's call. It doesn't matter how the Lord comes for us. If he comes for us one by one or in a mass exodus, as we know, called the rapture. We are to find comfort knowing that the Lord is coming and he's coming for his bride. And when he comes, his church will be with him forever. So the cry of the church then, as Paul cries out here in verses 55 through 57, O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. O death, as I read this Greek word all week, he actually personifies death. It's thanatos in the Greek. Thanatos. Those who have been watching the Marvel Movies, Thanos, death, he comes, Thanatos, that of death. It speaks about the separation of the soul from the body, literally. Speaking about the separation of a man's physical being from the spiritual part of man. Also, he personifies Hades here. Hades simply means that region of the departed spirits. In the Old Testament, it's referred to as shield in the Old Testament, death. When applied to the plants, animals, it means the end of life. But when it's used of human beings, death is not the end of life. The Bible teaches us that man is more than just a physical creature. He's also a spiritual being. For humans, physical death does not mean the end of our existence, but a transition from one dimension to another that we might either exist in hell and Hades in the lake of fire forever and ever, or to be with God in the heavenlies. But it doesn't mean an end of our existence, but merely a transformation that'll take place. The Bible speaks of death in a threefold way. 
There is physical death, there is spiritual death, and there is an eternal death that takes place. The physical death, the first death that we read about in Scripture is that of Abel, when his brother Cain rose up and killed him in the book of Genesis, chapter 4, verse 8. When we speak of both a spiritual and physical sense of, of death, the Lord God spoke about this in Genesis 2, verse 17, when he warned man not to eat of the fruit of the tree there in the garden, that you will, on the day that you eat of that fruit, you will surely die. And then because of the fall, we have now both physical and spiritual death as a result of this. In Proverbs 15, verses 11 and 12, he again personifies, but this time using, translated for us, hell and destruction. But they're personified as individuals, as beings. Hell and destructions are before the Lord. So how much more the hearts of the sons of men, a scoffer, does not love the one who corrects him, nor will he go to the wise. Speaking about the wicked people, Solomon, thinking about the wicked, saying that both hell and destruction are before the Lord, so too then are the hearts of the Son of Men. And those scoffers, we discover, they're all throughout our country right now, especially in the major cities. They come out, they say, around 10 p.m. or midnight, and they begin their troubles each night over in Portland, up in Milwaukee, down in Chicago, over in L.A. that's happening throughout our nation. These are people who hate correction. They won't go to the wise. They think, I don't know, I believe they truly believe that out of destruction, good could come. But all they're doing is hurting themselves and hurting others and destroying this great nation of ours. Shield, translated as hell here in this Old Testament passage, a Hebrew word that refers to the dwelling place of the dead and also destruction. We read about this not only in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, in the book of Revelation. We know this term as Abaddon, who is the king over the bottomless pit, according to Revelation 9-11. As fearful as these places may be, has been personified in Scripture as either death Hades, shield, or destruction. The Bible tells us that all these lay naked and open before our great God. Job 26, 6 says, Shield is naked before him. Destruction has no covering. Those who have been delivered from the sting of sin and death through faith in Jesus Christ, we are not without life's challenges which sometimes seem to be to us unbearable sufferings. Yet God often uses such sufferings that we go through in this life to refine us, to use us for his glory. Alan Redpath, a great man of faith, once said, the beginning of blessings is always burden. Great burden equals great blessing." In 1 Peter 1, verses 6 and 7, the word tells us, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. 
that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We need to understand if there was no sin, then there would have never been death and no need for the law. Yet Adam did sin. The law was given. But thanks be to God that Jesus had paid the price of our sins, was victorious over the grave. He is the victory. It's a Greek word that refers to one who has made a complete conquest. The battle's already been, been won through Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection from the grave. There at the cross, the battle has been won. In Psalm 16, verses 9 through 11, it tells us, Therefore my heart is glad, and my glory rejoices. My flesh also rests in hope. For you will not leave my soul in shield, nor will you allow your Holy One, referring to Jesus Christ, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forever. The psalmist David prophesying not only concerning his own heart, his life, but looking forward to the coming Messiah, the Holy One. That in God's presence there is fullness of joy. I know in this life that we can have moments of great joy, great pleasure, but there's also Seasons of great trials, great pains. But we need to know that Jesus Christ has won the victory over sin. Death in Hades has been annihilated or will be one day. But this is because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection from the grave. So what are we to do? Paul sums it all up in one verse in verse 58. While we wait, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. It is because we shall be changed that we'll uh, take on incorruption, that we'll take on immortality, because this is our future, will one day be our reality then we are at this present moment to live for Jesus while we wait for him upon this earth, while we wait for his coming. It is because death has been swallowed up in victory that we, the beloved of the Lord, are to be steadfast. We are to steadfastly stand upon the firm foundation of our faith which is built upon Jesus Christ our Lord. We are to be steadfast. It's a Greek word that simply means to be firm or immovable, that we cannot be shaken. That word again, this to be immovable, it speaks about being unable to be moved. It, it speaks about firmly persistent. And I can tell you that the Lord has allowed me this strength now for 60 years to have this steadfastness in my faith 
but it's because of my trust in the word of Jesus Christ. It's because of my hope that I have in Jesus Christ, something that was passed on to me by my parents, but something I also took up for myself as a young boy when I first went forward at church there in Winthrop Harbor, Illinois, to surrender my life to Jesus, to say to the pastor in tears at seven years old that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I probably didn't say it that way at seven, but that's what was going on in my heart. There was a battle for my soul, even at the age of seven. And I'm so thankful that Jesus Christ is the victor because I know Satan wanted it. And he has tried again and again throughout my lifetime to trip me up, to make me fall. And though I may have stumbled, I have not fallen. And that's something that can be said of all of us through faith in Jesus Christ because it's not a physical strength, it's a spiritual strength that God gives us. But we are to be, as we wait, while we wait, we are to be steadfast, we are to be immovable. For God has overcome death. Therefore, our life, our work upon this earth, we are to then stand because we know the future that the Lord has for us. While we wait for Jesus and his coming, whether he comes for us one by one or when he calls for his church all at once, we are to be steadfast. We are to be immovable in our faith. 2 Peter 3, 17 and 18 tells us. Now I like this because we have 2 Peter 3, 18 on our little church motto behind us. You always get the second half of this thought. Now we're going to get the whole thought. Verse 17 reads, You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, Beware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness. Same Greek word found here. Being led away with the error of the wicked. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever and ever. Amen. Here's that warning of growth that I give us every week here from the pulpit. That we are to be growing in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But the warning comes from a place of the encouragement, I should say, comes from a place of warning where he says that we could fall from our own steadfastness by being led away in the air of the wicked. We do not want to do that. We are rather to abound, a Greek word that refers to an overflow, we're to abound in the work that the Lord has given us to do. And I realize that we may, as individuals, may not always busy ourselves with the work of the Lord. We have busy lives. We're being pulled in many different directions. We're pulled by family. We're pulled by friends, by work, by worship. But what if we would commit to doing the good work that the Lord has set before each of us? And maybe that's a question for you today. Lord, what is the work that you've called me to do? If you already know the answer to that question, then I would challenge you with this question. Are you doing the work that the Lord has called you to do? Are you 
abounding in it? Are you steadfast in it? But maybe it's answering the question first. Lord, what is the work that you have called me to do? If you can answer that question, then then we are, as individuals, then as a church, as a church right now, this coming week, we have the work of family camp coming up. We know it's coming. The date's been set for it as far as if the Lord allows it to take place, unless something crazy happens, then that'll be the work that our church will be gathered together to do together. And then let us be steadfast. Let us be immobile. Let us abound in that work. We have works that individually and together corporately as a church body that we often find that we can be doing. So whether it's individually, whether it's corporately, let's abound in those works. I like to take moments and just to dream about the potential that we could possibly have when working together. When doing the work of ministry, ministry is so much easier. As I've often said from this pulpit, many hands make easy work. But if it's just a few or a handful, and that's kind of the given throughout all the churches throughout the world, then few hands make a few people mighty tired sometimes. But there comes this promise from Paul through the Holy Spirit saying that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. Peter touched on this. 2 Peter 1, verses 5 through 8, saying, But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If these things are yours and abound in you, then we will be fruitful for the Lord. So as we wait for the coming of Jesus, we are to be a people who are steadfast, immovable in our faith, people who are willing to abound in the work of the Lord, knowing that our work in the Lord is not in vain. Today we've seen a message that I titled, In a Moment and a Twinkling of an Eye, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 through 58. It is my hope that every one of us has realized that Jesus Christ is the Savior of our lives. If you have never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, perhaps today is the day that the Lord is calling you. That happened for me when I was a young boy at seven years old. But there were other faith commitments that also took place in my life. I believe the Lord did a, a faith challenge for me when I was, huh, it took me a couple of years from the age, ages of 21 to 23 years old. There was another faith commitment, not a resaving, but just a deeper commitment that needed to be made. I was saved, I know, when I was seven years old, but the Lord took me to a deeper place when I was 
between the ages of 21 to 23. It took him a couple of years to get me there. But again, at the age of 28, the Lord took me a little deeper in my faith. There was a time of commitment that was necessary, a, a deepening of my walk with the Lord. And there at the age of 28, when I surrendered to the Lord, to the call of ministry. It could be the Lord is pressing a call upon your life today. Let me encourage you that it all begins with salvation. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Father, we thank you for this word that you've given us this day. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to first be a people of faith. Lord, it all begins with salvation. But Father, I pray that you would help us then as people of faith to be steadfast, to be immobile, to be, Lord, always abounding in the work of faith, knowing, Lord, that our labors for you are not in vain. So Father, I pray that you'd work in our hearts, whatever challenge you may be pressing on the hearts of individuals today or corporately. We pray, Lord, that you'd work in our midst through the power of your Holy Spirit. This we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into his image by the power of his Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today.